0: Hello, and welcome to Broad Appeal, the podcast that looks back at female-driven films from the not-so-distant past. I'm Brian. I'm Sean. How are you today, Sean?
1: Oh, super as always, except that I'm actually kind of ill. It it gives you a nice,
0: plummy resonance to your voice, though. I, I feel as if I'm in the room with
1: Kim Novak.
0: Either Kim Novak or someone who's trying to sell me Sudafed.
1: Well, you know, I've always said that if we took a photo of us 50 years from now, it would look a little bit like the 1988 Academy Awards where Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart presented uh, an award together. Now, I uh, don't know why you'd uh, say say, say that, Sean. It seems uh, a little bit
0: incongruous. Speaking of the Academy Awards we're recording this episode now in advance of the Academy Awards project forward to our future selves do you think we are pleased or not pleased with how everything turned out
1: Um, I think we're pleased for Brie Larson in the the Oscar podcast I realised how much um, appreciation I had for her performance and the depth of the role and really I don't begrudge her anything
0: I would hope it was a tie, imagine how blissed out we would be if it was Saoirse and Brie up there together like making out on the stage
1: well oh, that really is a dream while Emory, that's one of my fever dreams while Emory cohen
0: was like filming jerking him. off
1: <laughs> fine filming jerking off i don't mind of yeah. anyway
0: ladies and gentlemen if you started to join us for the first time with our previous episode about the academy awards we do not usually talk about current films instead we usually look at one film in depth it always has a woman at the center and so far, they have all been from the 1990s. So if this is your maiden voyage on a typical Broad Appeal episode, fasten your seatbelts, because it's going to be a bumpy night.
1: Wait, maiden voyage and fasten your seatbelts? What What are the transport metaphors here? I have this, put on your oxygen masks <laughs> and brace yourselves.
0: I've noticed that um, the movies that we've picked have tended to congregate around the years
1: 1993, And the year 1995.
0: Oh, cool. And this... You know,
1: 1995 is the first year that I have memories of. Do you have a memory of this film, which we're about to see, which is called... To Die For. Starring Nicole Kidman and directed by
0: gay auteur Gus Van Sant. Cool. Do you have a memory of To Die For?
1: I do, actually, because the first time it was on TV, it was on TV3. Which was the new channel in Ireland. Brian, I, I know you're from the USA, where you had things called pay-per-view and cable. Premium cable. I remember my mother telling us that we didn't have cables in the ground where we were from, so cable was impossible. <laughs> we had a thing called MMDS. What's that? I, it sounds like something you pick up in a hospital, doesn't it? <laughs> but um, we'll have a guest on next week. Who I think might remember MMTS. Is it an acronym for something? Who can say? <laughs> I bet one of the M's was for multi. Multi manipulable
0: dial service.
1: Maybe. I'm gonna tell you what I think this film's about. Is it about a weather woman who becomes famous and then it gets involved in some kind of murder?
0: That is exactly right, children. Oh
1: but is there are there teachers involved?
0: Well, there are school children.
1: Okay. But you never saw it. No, and actually I don't know, I mean I think it's a black comedy. Yes, it's a it's a dark satire.
0: But first, before we talk about To Die For, I wonder what at the time was your experience of Nicole Kidman?
1: My first experience of Nicole Kidman was knowing that she was Tom Cruise's wife.
0: And did that inspire... And that she was
1: taller than him. <laughs> That's what I remember.
0: What was the first Nicole Kidman movie you can remember seeing?
1: Oh... I do know, or at least I know which film I consciously saw. Can I
0: make a guess? Yeah, go ahead. Is it Practical Magic?
1: Yes, it is, Brian. (laughs) Shout out to Kelly McGovern, who I'm pretty sure rented the film with me from, guess where? Kiernan's Video Shop. Yeah, there there was a rival video shop in uh, Lanesbury County Longford as well, which was in the chip shop which is apparently it was, I mean it was quite common in Ireland for, to have like a video rental service in a place where you could also buy chips and burgers but I really didn't like going down there because there was always like local lads who like thought they were rough as hell and super cool and, and they, I didn't they, enjoy going down there
0: they wouldn't have looked kindly on someone renting practical
1: magic especially someone so small <laughs> well you know practical, they are all gobshites anyway but I mean, I may have seen clips of Far and Away. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, of that course. was on TV a lot on Sky One in particular. Now,
0: was that was the second film she did with Tom Cruise, isn't it? After yeah. Days of Thunder, did is that the kind of movie that people in Ireland roll their eyes about?
1: They roll their eyes about it and then they just don't even watch it because that kind of thing is insulting. Do they both
0: have Irish accents? They
1: both have Irish accents. Oh my goodness! Like hers is a little bit better because she's Australian at least. Yeah. And obviously a lot of Irish convicts ended up over there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas he is just a joke. He's such a joke of a human being.
0: Well, so it is interesting. I think actually...
1: Sorry, Tom. (laughs)
0: Uh, If the Church of Scientology is listening to this, we have paid our dues to Xenu. We promise.
1: Praise Xenu. We promise.
0: Um, It's funny. She's a kind of divisive... Even among people of our demographic, by which I mean sort of gay cinephiles, you meet some people who just effuse over Nicole, and then you meet some people who are very happy to just castigate her and say she's wooden or say that she's like a robot. I mean, I think that as time has gone by, Nicole Kidman has proven herself to be the rare person who is both a megastar, but she makes the most interesting and surprising choices of movies. Would would you agree?
1: Well, I mean, there are some films that I admire her for that I don't necessarily love. Yeah. For example, Birth. It's very good, but it's not to everyone's taste. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't even say it's to mine. Dogville? Yeah, those Lars von Trier films that I don't want to see, but I'm glad they exist. Oh,
0: Dogville's great. Uh, is it? How could you not love any film that, like takes Thornton Wilder's Our Town and puts it in a blender with like Brecht and like a screed against American imperialism.
1: Well, I think Lars von Trier is a bit of a douchebag, so... He probably is, but Do- Dogville
0: is a, a risk worth taking, I think. I don't know if I love the movie Margot at the Wedding, but I remember upon seeing it, which is Noah Baumbach, I remember upon seeing it thinking to myself, God, Nicole Kidman is not afraid to play really, really unlikable people. And I think that's something that's really interesting about her. Now, I know one Nicole Kidman role that I think you're a fan of.
1: Oh, yeah, I was going to say this. It
0: involves a bit of uh, urination. The Paperboy?
1: Oh, I think it's a really weird film.
0: But was Nicole as amazing as other people seem to think in that?
1: Um, Peeing on top of Zac Efron. A
0: dream we've all
1: had. (laughs) (laughs) I've had the reverse dream myself. (laughs) Um, I don't rank it as one of my favourite Nicole Kidman performances. and Actually, now that we're talking about it, Brian, we yeah. do quite like her, don't we?
0: Of course we do. Yeah.
1: There's a film that I really like her in that you don't. What's that? It's a film that I believe she should have won the Academy Award for. What's that? Rabbit Hole.
0: Oh, no. I mean, she's fine in that film, but talk about a tedious, hidebound stage adaptation. No, thank you.
1: That's Okay. I think I must have been in a very emotionally unstable place when I saw it. We keep listing these Nicole Kidman movies, and they're all drastically different.
0: They yeah. range from sort of European art films to prestige Oscar pictures to kind of exploitative trash. And we haven't even mentioned, you know... The
1: Stepford Wives. <laughs>
0: yeah, or Bewitched or or The Hours. I would say that you can't falter. And I'm going to wrap up my Nicole Kidman analysis by saying what I once thought was my favorite Nicole Kidman role and that is Eyes Wide Shut that movie I saw twice in the summer of 1999 yeah when I was I was a a young man living in New York City for the first time over the summer Uh, and the two films I remember going to see both passionate erotic dramas. One was Eyes Wide Shut. The other was Disney's Tarzan. Um, What was your your mental state at that time? (laughs) I'm sure I saw other films, but those were the two that I remember seeing. But I remember in Eyes Wide Shut just being amazed at her carnality. She seemed so much sexier than Tom Cruise did, almost to the degree that Kubrick was sort of making fun of how wooden and asexual Tom Cruise was.
1: You think so? Yeah. You know, I', I gonna be honest. I've never seen *Avatar* showed all the
0: way through. It was very soon after that, wasn't it, that she and um, Tom split up and she she left Zenu forever. She... It
1: took a year to make that film. If you were on a film set for twelve hours a day with Stanley Kubrick directing you at a glacial pace for a year, I think you would want to leave your partner as well, whether or not there was some Scientologist weirdo, which I'm not saying he is.
0: From all this. All this chatter that we've been having, are there any dots that can connect all of these roles? No. Is that a good thing?
1: I think this is the thing about Nicole Kidman is that she takes a lot of risks, but I also think she makes some mistakes. Like, for example, we mentioned a few. uh, The Golden Compass, Bewitched, Separate Wives.
0: And we haven't even mentioned probably her biggest box office hit, although not a film I love. Moulin Rouge. Yeah. I mean yeah, it's that, that's another example.
1: Well she's quite prolific, isn't
0: she? She is.
1: I I want
0: you to def can we defend Nicole Kidman though? The more we talk about her, the more I'm like, right on, girlfriend.
1: But I don't think we need to defend her. I think she I think her filmography stands up for itself.
0: There are still people who will with a straight face tell you that she can't act.
1: Well they're wrong. Yeah? They're honestly wrong. Okay. Who are saying this? I,
0: people I meet every day. <laughs> every day in su- in Tesco. <laughs>
1: Brian Mullen I want you to know that I think Nicole Kidman can't act whenever
0: I'm walking around in Clapham there's Australian rugby players denouncing her
1: they tackle you to the ground and tell (laughs) you tell you how dreadful she is
0: okay for me and for much of the world I think the first film where Nicole Kidman serious actress started to flicker onto people's brains was the film that we are about to see To Die For. She actually won the Golden Globe as best actress in a musical or comedy for this film. It was based on a very famous actual murder case. Do you know what it was? No idea. That is the... Oh, so
1: it's a murder in the film. It's called
0: To Die For. And
1: you just said
0: she's involved in murder (laughs) earlier. (laughs) Whoops, sorry. It's based on a book by Joyce Maynard, also called To Die For. Apparently the book is a much more straight telling of this small town murder case, And then Gus Van Sant and screenwriter Buck Henry of The Graduate. Oh, my God. Yeah. Turned it into more of this black comedy. But it's based on a very notorious um, New England murder from my youth. The uh, murder and conviction of Pamela Smart. That's a good name. Now, actually, when I say that Pamela Smart, the real woman, was a murderer, I'm... Sort of fudging the facts, because she actually didn't murder anyone.
1: Well, you said there were school children involved. Uh-huh. Okay, so I'm going to assume this is a film about an aspiring weather woman <laughs> who befriends two violent youths yeah. in order to commit a murder for fame. So basically, the real
0: case of Pamela Smart, she was a teacher. I think she was like a media studies teacher or something like that. And then she had sexual affair. With a 15-year-old boy.
1: A sexual affair.
0: (laughs) She had a sexual affair with a 15-year-old boy. And he ended up killing the woman's husband. Now, if we wanted to know more about the actual Pamela Smart case, we could look, Sean, I discovered, at the 1991 Emmy-winning TV docudrama, Murder in New Hampshire, the Pamela Wajness (laughs) Smart story, starring... Another Oscar-winning actress, but long before her Oscar. Give me a clue. So it's someone known for her TV work. Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt. Cool. Helen Hunt, I just watched the trailer before we started recording, and there are some sexy scenes of her in a negligee going down on a 15-year-old boy.
1: Oh, my god! As
0: much as you can go down on, like, CBS Sunday <laughs> Sunday movie in 1991.
1: So, there had been... So, not at
0: all. <laughs> so, sort of, like, with soft focus and implied by positioning. What do you think you're going to feel about this movie?
1: Well, my best friend, Aileen Johnson, loves this film. Shout yeah. out to Aileen Johnson. We I think I'm really going to enjoy this and I'm going to wonder how it took me so long to see it. I'm actually going to go as far to say that this may become one of my favourite films.
0: Gosh, that's... <laughs> you sure you don't want to raise the expectations too high? No. <laughs> I looked it up on IMDb. It has an amazing cast, on, including... I'm not going to give it away.
1: No, I know who it is. One
0: or two of your favourite character actors, not actresses.
1: Oh, oh God. It's not like George Tunza again, is it? (laughs) It's not Wayne Knight again, is it? Mm, My
0: lips are sealed. Oh God, okay. (laughs) My lips are sealed. I
1: do know that the wonderful Ileana Douglas is in this film.
0: Ileana Douglas, as well as one of the earliest film roles of Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, wow. Any quick-fire predictions of what we're going to see in this film?
1: Uh, we're going to see a blistering satire, yeah. a brilliant performance by a wonderful actress, and possibly George Sunza or Wayne Knight. Will it turn us on in any way to watch Nicole Kidman seduce a
0: rural New Hampshire teenager? Yeah, it'll
1: seduce you, at least. <laughs> All right, well... Can we- I just say, Brian's favourite film is Notes on a Scandal.
0: Actually, I was thinking Notes on a Scanner would make a really interesting double feature with this movie. Let's program this. Let's do it.
1: I, I you know, I knew where she was going. This fixer-upper. I believe the Mr. Gorbachev. You know, the man who ran Russia for so long. Mm-hmm. I believe that he would still be in power today if he'd done what so many people suggested and had that big purple thing taken off his forehead.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I firmly believe that. Someday I hope to interview him and we would discuss that along with other. More well, pertinent international things. You know? I'm telling you, sis, she's going to be the next Barbara Walters. <laughs> oh, is that right? Well, Barbara does have many admirable qualities wide range of knowledge
0: of current events and a deep sympathy for people's inner feelings, which is a trait so many people have with the Jewish persuasion. is she something else? Mm. So, uh, yeah, that was it. I mean, done deal. Vanita. there's the a goner. Sean, in the first half, you said you thought this might become one of your favorite films of all time. Did it meet that high standard? It may have. Wow.
1: Was it the central performance? Was it the conceit? Was it the tone? I think it was all those things. They ticked a the box in every in every possible way. Very much part of the zeitgeist, the kind of prophetic zeitgeist, that kind of shaped the way we view a person with maybe not much talent becoming a... A famous person or a celebrity for for one reason or another. I loved the style of it, the way it was filmed. So for those listening, it's it's filmed in a in a partial document, mockumentary style, in which you know people are being interviewed, but it's not the entire film. In some
0: ways, of all the movies we've covered so far, this was the most dated to 1995, and I say that because it was full of references to media figures from that era. I mean, let's just name-check some of the people okay. that Nicole Kidman Ka- Kidman's character talks about. She talks about Barbara Walters. Connie Chung. Connie Chung. Did you know who Connie Chung was? Yeah, she's
1: married to Maury Povich. Maury Povich. She also gets a mention.
0: Yeah, Maury Povich, Jane Pauly. Um, Maria Shriver. Maria Shriver. She has the same wedding veil as Maria Shriver. And um, Justin Trudeau, the senior. No. What's okay. his name? <laughs> no, it's not Justin. Well, it's... She's referring to Gary Trudeau. Yeah, yeah.
1: She's referring to Gary Trudeau, but she also mentions the the president. The prime minister of Canada. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah.
0: But it's full of these cultural references that are very 90s. And also, it was making me realize how much the 90s were this era of kind of trash television and sensationalistic celebrity. I mean, we've also been this is just a pure coincidence but we've been watching the people versus OJ Simpson the actual events of that would yeah, have been right, same right time. before this yeah. yeah and of course we were about to enter into the Clinton Lewinsky scandal which had similar aspects of like trash celebrity culture media saturation sex and criminality all mixed up in this kind of blender yeah I know that that's a sort of eternal theme but there's something about it in the 90s that has this particular curdled cynicism and
1: irony yeah I mean I I can't explain that I mean maybe you as an American in the 1990s could explain that a bit more but I, I do think that it's it's the television news media. I mean, 24 Hour News didn't exist at this point, but it. Yes, it, it did. Yeah, but it, like CNN was like just one. You know what I mean? Like now there's like a constant 24 hour news channel for everything, you know? Like it just never ends. We're oversaturated now. Sure.
0: To me, what's interesting about To Die For is that her ambition is to be on television. Yeah. I'm not so sure that being like a TV news reporter figure would be the comparable dream today. It Wait. would be it would be some kind of other viral celebrity or a reality yeah. show. In a way, this is anticipating kind of reality show culture, isn't it? Well, at least Suzanne wants to do
1: an admirable job, you know? Correct. She's not
0: trying to get her sex tape out there, although...
1: Although, that would have sold... Well,
0: maybe we should... Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Should we kind of review who is... Suzanne Stone what does she want and how does she try to get it
1: okay so Suzanne Stone played by Nicole Kidman is a gorgeous blonde ice queen
0: actually Iliadna Douglas says what word do I think I have to describe her it's a four letter word that begins with C
1: oh yeah cold (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um so so she appears to be vapid but also icy at the same time.
0: So she's kind of like a precursor of um what's her name from Mean Girls? What's her name? Regina, Regina George. George. She's like this kind of plasticky cheerleader small town all-American girl, super hot but also kind of driven, seemingly wholesome. Yeah. There are also aspects, because this is before election, but there are also aspects of Tracy Flick in this character yeah. that Reese Witherspoon plays. She's kind of, like, uber-competent. Like, is she uber-competent, though? Well, she thinks of herself that way. Okay, so did, did you think the character was sympathetic at the start or even intelligent, or is she a
1: bimbo? Well, you know what? The, when you ask that question, it gives it instantly gives... Kudos to Nicole Kidman's performance. Okay. Because I really don't have a decent answer for those things.
0: Different moments of the film, I feel like she reads different ways. I
1: think she's calculating, I think, throughout. And what is it that she wants? Well, what she wants is she wants success. She wants adulation. She wants to be on television. Yeah. She wants to make the news. It's interesting because she's not a character who takes the easy route. Okay. Right,
0: she's persistent, in fact So, we should say, she. Her, the first thing that she sets her eyes on Is not necessarily her career It's a man, it's a marriage, right? Yeah. And Ileana Douglas is the sister of the man who she seduces with her feminine wiles Matt Dillon In the small New Hampshire town of Little Hope, New Hampshire Which, I couldn't help, I mean, it was so Clintonian You know about yeah. this, right? I'm from a little town called Hope yeah, I mean, like that—that's th- why this whole thing was just dripping and screaming like '90s to me. Yeah. Anyway, so she's from this little town called Little Hope, Arkansas. No, not Arkansas. New Hampshire. New Hampshire. New Hampshire the cold, white mountain state. But they pay no tax. Um, <laughs> yes, live free or die. So, um, there she is. And who does she pick as her, as her, um? Hubby to be, but a lovable lunkhead. A lovable
1: Italian lunkhead who works at his family's restaurant. Yeah,
0: it's definitely she's this kind of waspy cheerleader, and she's getting with Goomba Matt Dillon. Yeah,
1: and like the parents are, are used as contrasts as well. Holland Taylor and somebody else. Who's... The guy, the dad from that 70s show who his name? I will never, ever know or remember. He was also the psychiatrist and in Girl Interrupted, so he's oh, another character right. actor who's you're returned.
0: Right. Yeah, actually, it's time to say, so th- even though this is a podcast about actresses, one person has now appeared three times
1: in the films that we've chosen. Yeah, this is the Wayne Knight podcast. He actually was a very understated performer in this. <laughs> he was. And he was, he was actually... W- when he was on screen, I actually kind of felt kind of relieved. I was like... Like, oh, we're going to hear a little bit of sense just for a moment, you know? Yeah,
0: he is quite sensible because basically after she gets, she ensnares Matt Dillon and she kind of has this storybook sexy marriage, much to the chagrin of sister Ileana Douglas, she then sets her sights on a career. And it's the local TV network that she's going to work at where Wayne Knight is the kind of schlubby... Station manager,
1: right? So, Brian, I, why, how many times have you said the word schlubby in this <laughs> series of the podcast? Was he a lovable schlumiel? No, he was not a
0: schlumiel. He was definitely a schlub. <laughs> so, anyway, yes, we haven't used Yiddish in a while. <laughs> we. <laughs> anyway, he's schlubbing it up. Um, <laughs> dub <Schlub-a-dub-dub>. dub. <laughs> at Little Hope, you know, network. Incorporated, and in comes Suzanne in her best kind of pantsuit. Can I say we actually should look up who did the costuming? It was great.
1: Like one thing, what we should have said when you know when you look at this film, you think of the nineties. Yeah, I look at this film and think of of like the trashiest nineties Versace. Okay, because like there's one dress in particular. You know where where she brings the family over for dinner. Yeah, she's wearing this. It's like it's like pink and blue and yellow and white leopard print. Uh Uh-huh. And it's like form-fitting clings to her body, you Mm. know? Like, it probably... Okay, because it's a movie. It probably was real Versace or something. Or something, anywhere, But it looks like the trashiest knockoff you can think of. Well,
0: even the name Versace is connecting back again to the whole celebrity sex and murder theme that we're we're pursuing. So, anyway. So astute, aren't we? I know. God, we are tapping into the zeitgeist. We're just just 20 years (laughs) too late. (laughs) Anyway, so she shows up at the station. Basically, the position that seems to be advertised is some sort of glorified... Girl Friday. Yeah, receptionist gopher. But she's determined that she's going to be on the air. And this was the this was the scene where I kind of most, appro- like, had sympathy for Suzanne's. She is just insistent that she's going to get a job working on television. And she's quite funny bringing Wayne Knight these memoranda <laughs> that she's written up with these ideas for different programs that she's going to do, like yeah. children's shows and Vox Populi <laughs> interviews. If street. you know the term. If you know the term, yeah.
1: I think it's worth prefacing here that during her honeymoon with Matt Dillon oh yes she meets she's at a convention she strategically okay plans this yeah this, this honeymoon in Florida where there's some kind of tele tele news um, convention tele news, tele news convention <laughs> that's taking place Telemundo. mundo that's taking place and she meets George Segal in an uncredited role not, it's not George Segal but it's it's, an, it's George Segal playing a character okay. <laughs> playing a news anchor playing a news anchor and he tells this anecdote, which she does not get first of all about okay about a female reporter who who meets this like high flying exec or whatever, and she hands him a letter of recommendation and it says, um blah blah blah, is dedicated, committed, talented whatever, whatever, and she'll like suck your cock to till your eyes pop out, yeah, and, and then she's hired. The punch is that the apocryphal news anchor wrote this letter, and Suzanne doesn't actually get the joke, first of all, until it's, like, painfully explained to her. But when she goes for this job at the local news channel, we see her leaving the premises with the job, but also with the letter in her hand, which she, like, tears up and disposes of, with this kind of sense of humiliation of, why did I do this, you know? We're given an insight into, like, this: that this character does have a soul. It's like, why was I prepared to degrade myself so quickly
0: well i want to come back to that question of whether or not she has a soul later but are we meant to believe that at that point she's still kind of naive and idealistic she thinks her talent and drive will get her ahead and then george siegel telling her this anecdote is implanted in suzanne's brain and basically says if i can't get ahead through these sets of talents i'm gonna get ahead through these other sets of talents well
1: she's already used those talents in, when? To get Matt Dillon. Like, like she's a horny woman as well. Like, yeah. Let's put it out there. She's not having sex with the man for the man's sake. She's getting all for herself. It's true. There's a hot Dan scene right where she they're, should.
0: Getting, they're banging each other against a tree.
1: Yeah, and, I, and Gus Van Sant punctuates these, like, you know, youthful love sex scenes with, like, this, like, you know, ear-splitting heavy metal guitar, which I think is great.
0: And it's significant that even though Ileana Douglas... Says she's cold. Matt Dillon describes her as like a volcano. Yeah, interesting. She is a woman of contradictions. So she gets she gets a gig doing what on the on the TV station?
1: She gets a gig pre- presenting the weather, rain or shine. Mrs. Suzanne stone. stone.
0: But she she has higher ambitions. In in a sense, it's interesting that, like, her first idea is rather idealistic. It's to make a youth-centered documentary called Teens Speak Out. (laughs) So she goes to the local high school where she's going to recruit some young people to interview and participate in her documentary. And and this is kind of where the fictionalized story starts to intersect with the real life Pamela Smart story. So who are the the trio
1: of losers. Dimwitted dim witted horny losers <laughs> Okay, there's Russell played by Kay- Casey Affleck. There's Lydia played by Alison Folland.
0: Is it implied that she's a lesbian?
1: Or she has I lesbian don't tendencies? No.
0: At one point, Suzanne says that explicitly to her. And she certainly moons around and kind of hangs around Suzanne and seems to want to, like... Yeah, but
1: she idolizes her the way a girl idolizes another girl. And our other teenager is who, Sean? The very sexy Jimmy, played by Joaquin Phoenix. Okay, pause. Do you generally find Joaquin Phoenix sexy, or here, particularly? I found him very sexy
0: in her. Although with a a very different role. I mean, in her, he's a lovable... Nebish, yeah. <laughs> whereas here is nebish a, an adjective or a noun? It's a noun. The adjective form is nebishy. Oh, really? I mean,
1: sort of. Yes, nebish is a noun. Okay. Here he's a stoner. He's a slovenly stoner boy, and I love stoner boys. Always have. Basically,
0: he and Casey Affleck seem to only think about sex. They seem to be driven primarily by their crotches, right? Mm. Yeah? Yeah. She shows up in this classroom and she's wearing this kind of short skirt and she's sitting on the desk in front of the class. And it's like unclear at that point that she realizes the sexual power she has over them, is it?
1: It's not clear.
0: It's, no it really isn't, you know. But very quickly she's gonna she's gonna utilize it. And this is At what's... what point does she actually utilize it first? I mean I think really the plot twist comes when Matt Dillon starts to get broody and wants to have a baby. And maybe she would come and work with him in the restaurant. She goes sexually frigid with Matt Dillon. She will not have sex with him. She does not want to be tied down in this marriage. And she starts to regret being in it. While simultaneously, what does she start doing with our boy Joaquin? She
1: begins a sexual relationship with him.
0: And, like, suddenly she becomes this, like, sexual predator. Yeah. Now, Jean, you found um, the sex scenes
1: very effective, well, shall listen, we say? Okay, first of all, Joaquin Phoenix was overage when he played this character. Okay, so he was not a teenager. He wasn't a teenager. He was the, the actor adults. was not a teenager. I don't think so, anyway. No, I don't <laughs> think so either. I just think that, like... I mean, they really play up to it. Is that part where he, like, jerks off watching her on on the news? Yeah, because he says... I never gave a shit about the weather, but now if I hear thunder or rain, I gotta jack off.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and they show him watching her do the... Do (laughs) that... Sean... (laughs)
1: Ugh...
0: He's watching the weather report and we see this fantasy version. But basically, she she uses that obsession. And she is kind of a cock tease because there's that scene where she is, like, going down on him. Yeah. But she refuses to, like, bring him to completion until... What does that mean, Brian? What? What does that mean? <laughs> she refuses to make him come <laughs> until he basically agrees that he will kill Matt Dillon. Yeah. Right? I mean, she just, she turns into this scheming murderess. And she kind of implies that Matt Dillon maybe has beat her up. So through a combination of sexual bargaining and lying, she basically gets all three of the kids, like Lydia's dad has a gun at home and somebody else does this and they break in the house. And then,
1: quite brazenly they just shoot Matt Dillon so when he's begging for his life he even says like complimentary things about Suzanne because of course he has no idea that his wife is at all involved and he's never laid a hand on
0: her yeah so anyway then she really the character really
1: changes it's sort of soon after that the plot starts to unravel after the murder Lydia calls around to Suzanne's house with um, Jimmy in tow Okay, and up until this point, Suzanne has been all over all of them, especially Jimmy. And she's like, we don't know each other, okay? And she chastises both of them. Jimmy as well. Like, like Jimmy's the one who gets cut off completely. Well, and she has to,
0: because if they're seen hanging around the house, then the police are going to be able to pull this together. But basically, she goes from hot to completely cold, and I guess that's the antinomy
1: of this character. You know what I didn't understand, okay? Yeah. It's so, like... They get the kids for the murder, okay? Yeah. Because, um, because Russ had like shells in his shoes, so clam well, shells, clam shells. He'd been out clamming, he'd been out clamming, and like the gun is with Lydia's, and and uh, Jimmy obviously pulled the trigger and that kind of stuff.
0: And eventually, Jimmy
1: confesses, yeah. doesn't he? But what I understand, Brian, is why
0: didn't Suzanne get done for this? Well, babe, because in the real story of Pamela Smart, she is sitting in jail now for criminal conspiracy. But what happens in the movie? Before the police can put all the pieces together, Ileana Douglas and Dan Hadaya, who are Matt Dillon's Italian-American relatives, figure out what's going on, right? Because Suzanne goes on the news and tells some ridiculous story about how it was a drug deal and... um Matt Dillon had been buying cocaine off the kids, and you know they know that this is false, and so they basically hire a hitman to come and kill her. And the hitman is played by Canadian auteur
1: David Cronenberg. David
0: Cronenberg, perhaps one of the creepiest angels of death in any movie since Jessica Lange. Sweet. He's a scary man. To, Jessica Lange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. It's all that jazz. Yeah. I showed you that. I know it. <laughs> anyway, so basically, they they know that what will ultimately lure Suzanne to this hitman is telling her that he is what? Not a hitman, but a... Like news news A producer. movie producer. Or He's movie. from Hollywood. <gasps> so that's why. And this is why it finally makes sense. Because throughout the movie, we've been seeing these kind of direct-address monologues where Suzanne is talking straight onto the camera and basically telling the whole story of what she's done and what her reasoning is. And this is the tape that she's going to sell to this quote-unquote movie producer. So just as the police are compiling the case, she gets killed. And basically, as far as the police know, she's dis- she disappears. But where is she? She's under the ice. In the last shot of the film, she is under the ice in the frozen New Hampshire lake. And... Our beloved Ileana Douglas, who throughout the whole movie has had a a different career aspiration. She is going to be a professional ice skater. Uh, She skates joyously over the frozen body of her her rival, Suzanne Stone.
1: While Donovan's um, Season of the Witch plays over
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Sean, so you
1: were a fan of this film stylistically? Well, you know, my best friend Aileen Johnson. Like, I messaged her after we watched it to, to say that, oh, you know, I've just watched To Die For for the first time, and she said that movie shaped my childhood. God. Okay, and that explains a lot, to be honest. <laughs> Do, could you relate to
0: Suzanne Stone, or did you find her just a kind of compelling but evil villain? Um, I related to to poor old Joaquin Phoenix. You related to him, or you wish that he was relating to you, which <laughs> no. is it, shot. No, no, no. I mean,
1: like, to be kind of taken for a
0: ride. And manipulated by an older, sexually adventurous person. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, I have to say, I really related to Suzanne from most of the movie. I found her kind of... Type A personality. What her sort of no, endearing, endearing, <laughs> relatable, <clears throat> close to home. Um, just like her dogged persistence to kind of get things done. Her, she. There's a way in which she's just a classic American character. She just. Oh God! No, she's just pursuing her own American dream. Now I do, life, liberty, and yeah, all, <laughs> all the other stuff. <laughs> um, I I have to say Nicole Kidman is
1: phenomenal in this film she is she, she, and she's gorgeous yeah in this movie like she's shockingly gorgeous there's this one scene where lydia i mean if lydia had gay tendencies she was a full-blown lesbian by the end of it and who wouldn't be because yeah she's and- watching she's watching suzanne put on underwear and it changed multiple pairs and then we get a glimpse of, of like suzanne in this fully matching two-piece and it's like whoa How are you human? But this is, I think, and this is
0: the genius of Nicole Kidman here because I think this is a role where we also see the actress's intelligence. So the character is using sexuality and her body in a very deliberate way, but the actress, Nicole Kidman, is also giving us these sly, ironic, funny, devastating, and dark line readings that kind of turn on a knife's edge. I mean, that scene where she and Lydia go to the mall... And Lydia has the wire at that point and is trying to, you know, say... To, to sort of get Suzanne to confess some involvement in the crime. Suzanne is just devastating.
1: Hi, Lydia. Is it my imagination or is that diet working, huh? You lost a few pounds in here? I don't know. I, I haven't been eating much lately. So what's this about talking to the truth? I just figured that... Russell would tell them everything so. Look, no one's going to believe anything Russell or Jimmy say. I and mean, they're just a couple of punks. They wouldn't be in this deep shit if they kept their mouths shut. There's no evidence that we're involved. I wasn't anywhere near the house. And if they did find out anything, you know who's would be in trouble, don't you? You would. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, Lydia, if you hadn't gone and gotten your mother's gun, Larry would still be alive, wouldn't he? But you asked me to. No, I didn't. Jimmy did. Don't you remember that?
0: But you asked Jimmy. And you, and you told Russell that... No, you're I don't think so. You listen to me. I never gave Russell any money. Do you understand? The way I remember, it was your plan all along. You and Jimmy, you had this crazy fixation
1: about me and you were getting some kind of perverted kick out of the whole idea like people with your sexual problems tend to do. Yeah. And Russell went along <laughs> with me because is Russell bad. is basically an yeah. evil little fucking scumbag. Well, I'll bet you're having some
0: kind of sick, dirty sex with, in spite of your lesbian oh. tendencies. Hold Wait a minute! Wait a, a
1: minute! We thought we were friends! Well, okay then. Hmm? Can you take some advice from a friend? You keep your fucking mouth shut.
0: <laughs> Kudos to Nicole. like. I don't know who else could have done it. Right. I have a few questions for you, Sean is this film actually saying anything interesting? Like, it's saying it with complete style and trashy enjoyment. But, like, is the message, nowadays everyone wants to be on TV and this is destroying society, like, is that a message we should care about? Compared it to
1: network. It just shows, like, the complete insanity of these people and how they just can't look outside themselves. Yeah. I mean, don't they say in this film that Lydia astutely points out That if everybody was on TV, nobody would be able to watch them. Yeah. And that's the damn honest truth. I mean, and of course, it's presented in this very Pomo way where we
0: have these different layers of mediation, right? Suzanne works at a television studio. She has direct address, which is revealed to be the video she's making. She's making a video of the kids. And then we have this, you know, mockumentary frame where the other characters are all talking. And the whole thing itself is a version of this real life Crime story. So, I guess what I'm saying is, I think the screenplay is is quite simplistic in terms of what it's saying, and the execution is extraordinary. I think so too. It's it's Nicole Kidman's fantastic
1: performance. It's also Gus Van Sant's direction. I think I really appreciate Gus Van Sant. It's a queer take on he- on heterosexuality. You in know? what sense? I mean, what one can do with the traditional schematic. You know how one can poison the poison the well, you know?
0: Well, because she's this all-American beauty. She has this husband. You know, they should have a happy life in this small town. And yet murder and venality are at the heart. And then the other plot line is a sort of horny teenage dream. I mean, that scene where she dances in the um, headlights of the car in a summer dress could be a fucking Katy Perry video. Yeah, it could be.
1: Right? She presents as the... All-American, gorgeous blonde girl. Yeah, but actually, it's it's a world like, you know, it walks and talks and sounds like a normal person, but actually, she's not.
0: Do you think this movie is overly harsh on the character of Suzanne? No, I know she's a
1: scheming <laughs> murderess. Know, yeah, she I means she gets everything she deserves. But do you do you feel a sense of dread when she's on screen? No, absolutely not. If anything. You're like, oh my god, what now? So
0: it's like sympathy for the devil. Yeah. Although, I have to say, I was a bit not sold by the last beats of the film because she falls so easily for the David Cronenberg ruse.
1: But ultimately, Suzanne is a is a rube.
0: But that's what I mean, and that's why, like, Nicole Kidman is amazing, but I just feel that there's an element of misogyny here in the actual characterization. That it's like, she's sexually voracious, but also frigid. She's sort of a bitch to everyone, but she's also a bimbo. I mean, she's literally every negative female stereotype. Now that you mention it, I do
1: identify with (laughs) some
0: But I guess what I'm saying is Nicole plays all these different roles on an incredible high-wire act, like shifting from one to the next. But if you pick apart the, the bits of it, it's actually just an assemblage of negative female stereotypes. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah.
1: it is. And um, one other last thing I want to point out, which why the film is interesting and why it works, is because, um, especially compared to the two f- biggest female characters, Ileana Douglas and Nicole Kidman, Yeah. is that Ileana Douglas, she's basically the straight woman. Her line readings are with dramatic intensity. And naturalism. Naturalism and just like an ease... And like you know, she's she like, she has all the notes, okay, she's
0: also an audience surrogate, I mean she's yeah. the one who seems like a sensible, grounded
1: person, yeah, Suzanne Stone is just like she's just on another planet and and like in in one scene, it goes from high to low, it goes round and round in circles, it spirals, and you're like, like a wheel within a wheel Like a wheel within a wheel, and you're Never like ending or beginning and. <laughs> And I think that's just uh, used to the film's advantage.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. We did see my own private Idaho not that long ago, a year I, ago. Yeah, and I think it has wonderful parts, but tonally it doesn't hang together. In a sense, this feels to me like a much more confident directorial achievement. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, like as you say, there are lots of different tones, but the the fractured nature of shifting from one to the next, you're just with it, and it and it it, it plays like a roller coaster in a way. Well, great. So we really
1: loved to die for. Yeah, big up to listener Aileen Johnson. You crazy bitch. <laughs> and you know what, Nicole? I know you gotta pay. You gotta pay the bills to keep that ranch in Australia. You know, mortgaged. But try and do something weird every so often.
0: Well, she does those ads with the
1: meerkats. Oh, God. I mean, that probably they, pays more than... They keep playing time. those
0: in the gym. I was on the elliptical machine uh, the other day and there she was with a CGI yeah, meerkat. Yeah, no, see, this
1: is exactly what we were talking about in the first half, okay? <laughs> Bewitched, uh, the separate wives, and these stupid ads. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, Nicole. Do you think she looks at Tom Cruise at the BAFTAs and thinks, oh, my God... I dodged that bullet so fast I I so would hard. like to
0: think that she looks at Tom Cruise in Going Clear uh, the Scientology documentary and starts screaming yeah. I think she signed a lot of
1: agreements and you're damn right Nicole never talk about it No. don't ever talk about it <laughs> In fact, if we go missing in our next podcast at this, episode...
0: At least this will be a, a, <laughs> like a like an audio trail of what happened next. <laughs> this is our last Will and Testament, beloved listeners. And actually, I'm going to take this moment to say, since I relate so much to Suzanne Stone, Sean and I basically only do this podcast because we want to be famous as well. We know that people are listening, but you know what you guys are not doing? You are not going on to iTunes and Stitcher and rating us. So if you've listened all the way through this
1: conversation, you must have liked it a little bit.
0: We know at least a few people who listened to this
1: who definitely could have given us a rating.
0: Yeah, because the thing about iTunes is they won't show you the reviews and the ratings until you've gotten beyond a certain threshold, and we have not crossed that threshold.
1: Yeah, Scott Hoffer. (laughs)
0: If you rate us enough, then we are far less likely to seduce some high school students and kill one another. Speak
1: for yourself, Mullen.
0: <laughs> okay. So, Sean, we are about to wrap up this podcast, but
1: you have some exciting news. I'm delighted to be working at the BFI for the BFI Flare Festival. That's London's LGBT Film Festival. I'm taking care of all the short films this year. And like me... They are small, but perfectly formed. (laughs) And I recommend that you you go onto the website and have a look. You get a lot of films for the same price as a normal ticket. We have a little bit of everything for everybody, you know, from the lesbian perspective, trans perspective, LGBT kids, um, and also even animation as well. There's lots there. Um, And also check out the main programme. I haven't seen everything, but there's one film that I'm very uh, intrigued to see. Which is actually accompanied by a short film called Bedding Andrew. I want to see Bedding Andrew as well. Mm. Um, there's a film called Yes We Fuck. It's from Spain. And it is about less able people, queer and otherwise, and their sex lives. I'm very excited
0: to see From Afar, which was a big winner at the Venice Film Festival, This Day Aja.
1: You know I'll have no time to see any of these films. Well, I'll see them all <laughs> while you're working. Um, so that's what's what screeners the- are for. <laughs> what's the website? bfi.org.uk forward slash flare, And you can see a whole lot of things there.
0: Great. And uh, we have another very exciting episode that's going to be airing in two weeks on your national holiday. Yeah,
1: so St. Patrick's Day this year. You're going to get a double scooping of pure Irish sex. <laughs> What? It's going to be me and my oldest friend, Alan Flanagan. And if only we had a webcam in here, you'd see how big his arms are.
0: You are having a reunion with one of your oldest friends from your hometown. And what's the film going to be? The
1: film, Brian, I'm very proud to announce is Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion.
0: Which Brian Mullen has never seen. So I'm going to be in a potato sandwich with Sean and Alan and Romeo and Michelle. You're going to be the the salami in potato <laughs> sandwich, aren't you? All right. So watch Romeo and Michelle for the next two weeks. Go to the BFI Flare Festival. Buy your tickets. Rent to die
1: for. Don't seduce any teenagers.
0: Anything else that we want to say?
1: Follow us on Twitter at Broad Appeal Pod. And visit our website, Broad Appeal And have a lovely, lovely two weeks. So strange. You got to pick up every stitch. You got to pick up every stitch. You got to pick up every stitch. Mm-hmm. Must be the season of the week.